Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, everyone. This is Jordan Hoffman, host of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And this week's episode is brought to you by NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration. Uh, We are getting toward the holidays. We're getting toward New Year's Eve. And it is time to really keep top of mind the risks and hazards of driving drunk. Now, you all know the risks of driving drunk. Uh, There can be a crash. People can get hurt or killed. You can get arrested, incur huge legal expenses, or possibly even lose your job. Uh, You know the consequences are wrong, but you still sometimes say it's no big deal. Well, too drunk to drive means too drunk for complicated apps, so NHTSA is sponsoring Safer Ride, the simplest possible way to get home safe, and it only has three explanatory buttons on the home screen. You can call a friend, you can locate and call a cab company, or bring up a map of your current location. So let's help NHTSA end drunk driving by doing your part and downloading NHTSA's Safer Ride app to help everyone get home safely. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. And hello everybody, welcome back. Oh my god, it's another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And guess what, Brian? What, Jordan? This is uh, this is the last episode of 2017. Wow. We were going to have another one, and we had... <laughs> we had some, some, uh, some engineering difficulties. Oh, my God. We had a special guest that we were going to pipe in over this new contraption. Now, Star Trek is very tech-forward. We were going to use something called a telephone. And here's a what telos. happened. A telos, a telephone. <laughs> so the first thing that happened with the phone, listeners, is the number one wouldn't work. Like literally, the number one wouldn't work. Well, it's it's more that the you have to press them. Um, they're a little sticky, <laughs> and you have to press them um, kind of firmly, but not too firmly. Oh man! Otherwise, it would either not not register or it would double. <laughs> wow! I wish somebody had told me that on my prom night. Um, <laughs> so. We had a great guest lined up. Uh, it's no lie. It's Jeff Russo, the composer of Star Trek Discovery's theme, the award-winning composer and 
rock uh, star from the band Tonic, and we love him. And he was going to come on because um, I met him on the uh, on the blue carpet back in uh, September, and we had it all scheduled, and the friggin' phone wouldn't work. And then we had another pro- problem. So, but you know what? That's in the past. What would Michael Burnham say? Forget the past and look forward to the future, right? That's correct. In fact, that's what everybody from Star Trek would say, from Gene Roddenberry on. So, as a result of that, this is the last episode, but what an episode we have. Oliver Whitney is here. Hello, Oliver. Hello. And, Oliver, you and I have known each other for quite some time. Yep, we have. At, not that long. Yeah, a couple of years, yeah. few years. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And there's one thing uh, that's interesting about you is that you don't watch Star Trek. I don't. Up until, like... Two weeks ago, you've never seen an episode of Star Trek. This is true, yes. Okay. Now but, everyone knows. Yeah, now, now, now you're out. Uh, you'd seen two of the recent films, Star Trek 2009. Yes. And Star Trek this Beyond, which yeah. you like both. You yeah, missed, I like both. I missed yeah. uh, Into Darkness. I right. don't know why. But. I should point out that Oliver is a writer about film, television, and other popular entertainments for ScreenCrush.com. Sure am. Which means you work with Matt Singer, mm-hmm. that guy who's been a guest on this show twice? Uh, yeah. Felt more like five or six with that guy. But he's been <laughs> on a few times. So ScreenCrush.com uh, is a great website, as we know, and your work can be read there. So why would we have you on? Um, because you're going to bring uh, uh, an aura of verisimilitude and a perspective to today's topic that I do not have and that I think is, is important. So we're going to be talking about gender fluidity in Star Trek. Uh, which is something that, uh, you know, Star Trek was, for its time, pretty um, pretty progressive, right? Going all the way back to 1966. It has its bona fides, right? Right, yeah. I'm familiar with The Kiss. Like, I haven't seen the episode, Are you but... talking about Shatner and and, uh, and Yeah, yeah. She has so uh, that's in my Michelle pop cultural Nichols. consciousness. Right, right, right. right. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it gets a lot of props, but then you also have to say, well, for its time, for its time. So, for example, Lieutenant Uhura. African-American woman on the bridge. Uh, she's an important character in Star Trek. Big deal for 1966. Undeniable big deal. Kind of pull, go back a step and you go, well, in the original show, she didn't do that much. There were a couple episodes where she had some clutch moments. There's a riveting moment where Spock looks her in the eye and says, I would have, I would rather, forget the exact quote, but I would want no other person at my side during this moment than you, Lieutenant O'Hare. A very moving moment. So a big deal. But also, you know, uh, you look at it from 2017 point of view and there are some red flags, you know, with a lot of the, you know, also with some of the sexism of the original series and even going into the next generation. So um, I wanted to talk about two specific episodes in Star Trek with you, Oliver. Oh, I buried the lead. You are... (laughs) Uh, you self-identify as non-binary. Yes, I identify as non-binary and trans. Non-binary and trans. Oh, I'm yes. glad I asked. So yeah, I, yeah. that's too. Di- that I didn't know about the second part. I yeah, you- yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I use various terms to describe my gender identity, but I use non-binary and trans or transmasculine to describe myself. Okay. All right. Yeah. I learned something new. And your your uh, the pronouns that you prefer, which comes up in the episode. It does. Which yeah. Is which awesome, is awesome. Yeah. Is you prefer to use they them? I use they them. Sometimes I use he him as well. So I'm I'm fine with both. Okay. 
Um, I didn't know that. Is that because we're friendly? Is that a yeah, new thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's sort of something I'm introducing into my professional life. I use it with like friends and close friends, but oh. sort of I'm slowly introducing it into. Should I be offended that I'm with. only finding out now? Or no, you shouldn't be offended. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that is, uh, you know, when people are, or when you're not around, mm-hmm. and people say, "Oh, is Oliver coming to the thing?" Oh, yeah, they're coming at 6. I yeah. mean, that's kind of how it's done. Yeah, for sure. So, um, which at first takes a minute to get used to mm-hmm. because all the people that talk about you are writers. So, like, you know, there's a grammar issue. And of this, course, this is yeah. different than the grammar we were taught. But Right, and journalism isn't really built around using non-binary language or using a gender-neutral language. Yeah. So many... Um, you know, style guides haven't really added it sure. to that yet. So yeah, for journalists, it's different. Um, but what I tell people who sort of maybe struggle with using gender-neutral pronouns is, if you think about when you're talking about someone you don't know, like um, uh, the, you ordered a pizza and someone delivered it, and you don't know the gender of the person yeah. that delivered it. Oh, uh, they they brought the pizza, right? Or or yeah. uh, the the pizza guy, they they came and delivered it. Or you think about when you when you refer to someone yeah. who you don't know, it's kind of just a part of your natural language to just refer to. They. An unknown gender oh, is they. Yeah. So it's kind of, we say it all the time, really. I would say that at f- because you are the only they that I deal with on a regular basis, that like the first one or two times I caught myself, and then eventually you get used to it. Yeah, I mean, it takes practice. It takes practice. Um, I always tell people that if they mess up, just recognize it and then try not to mess up next time, you know? Right. Um when you when you introduced this at work, were there were there some people who like took longer than others? Were there um, not particularly? I think maybe the people that took the longest were my family. You know, people that have, you know know me my entire life sure, and uh, sure. have been using different pronouns for me. So it's more of just like a muscle that you need to keep flexing and keep yeah. working out. Is how I think about it. Was there like some jerk who's like that I'm not calling you they um I haven't had any personal negative yeah. reactions to pronouns no right. uh, maybe elsewhere and friends you know fought that battle for me but right, right, right. no one's personally said I mean, that to the, me I think the answer is if someone refuses to call you by the way you want to be called what what do you want to deal with that person anyhow yeah I really rather not associate <laughs> <laughs> yeah. alright so in the episode The Outcast it comes up between Riker and uh, Soren the Janai pilot and Star Trek kind of gets a a way out which is they say oh we have a word we use but you couldn't pronounce it right so, it's not translatable it's not to translatable english. <laughs> to english it's can only be used in janai which is a nice out now the outcast was written in or it aired in march of 1992 so that's uh 27 uh, who's got a calculator 16 20, 26 25 years 26, 26 years ago so, yeah. so um a long time ago. Yeah. You were but a... I was one. Non-binary glint in your parents' <laughs> eyes. No, you were you were one years old. Okay, yeah. so uh, uh, it was a long time ago. So tell me... Uh, so what's interesting is, like I said, you haven't watched much Star Trek, but I yeah. do think that your perspective on these shows have a significant uh, interest, I think, to me and to listeners in general, um, because uh, trans and non-binary voices are not uh, heard that much. True. Yes. It's still something in, to most Americans as a as a as a new thing, so to speak, in pop culture. Anyhow, not yeah. that there's a sense that I mean, trans folks are just kind of breaking into the mainstream conversation sure. in pop culture in the last you know five to ten years or so. Absolutely. I mean, I would. When was the Caitlyn Jenner? 
Um, Caitlyn Jenner came out about, gosh, maybe it was three years, three, three and a half years I mean, that, ago at this that time. Really yeah, was to me anyhow something of a watershed, uh, which is unfortunate because she's kind of bonkers. But um, she has her <laughs> opinions, which you know I don't always agree with. But that's yeah. what makes life wonderful. So these, and also like the show Transparent, also right. And yeah, now it turns now out has... that Jeff Tambor is the jerk. So yeah, that's unfortunate. That's but there's still so many talented trans people and non-binary people that work on right. that show. So. It's it's a difficult right. conversation. Which, by the way, you wrote you've written about this topic considerably, and you did um, a very well received video, which is on Screen Crush and on yeah. YouTube. And that video was called. Um, it was um, why trans people should um, be in Hollywood. I forget like the actual title. It was um, that was your cue to set sorry, it up. Sorry, sorry, gosh, it's been but it's a while. A great, if you go to, um, if you Google this, it's it's got like nine zillion views because it was a pretty watershed video. For yeah, topic, yeah, it was so. about a bunch of um, a variety of trans actors that I interviewed that spoke about their experiences in Hollywood and why they should be cast in more roles in uh, more mainstream roles. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so for many people. Uh, this is something of a new thing. And of course, it really isn't. Like, people feeling this way about themselves was just quite hushed up. Right. And, I mean, trans people have been around for centuries, yeah. really, but we sort of haven't been able to come out and, you know, vocalize and express ourselves until recent years. Yeah. Uh, I went to uh, a thing at the Natural History Museum a year ago because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm into Balinese music, like okay. gamelons and stuff. Cool. And uh, I... I turned, I didn't, so I went for that. I was like, oh, they're going to have like a concert of Balinese stuff. And it turned out that it, its primary focus really was about um, like transgender culture in like indigenous Balinese culture of centuries ago. Mm. Like, who knew, right? Awesome. And it's like, it was the thing. Now it's not, you know, but, uh, you know, they were way ahead of us centuries ago in, in, this little island off the coast of Indonesia. So, yeah. yeah, to call this like a, you know, suddenly everybody's changing their gender or they say they're on a, uh, a fluid uh, spectrum, it's kind of not, you know. Right, it's, it's just there's more room now to um, express that so people are more aware of it. Now. Right. So Star Trek was sort of ahead of the game in terms of pop culture by making this episode called The Outcast. Now, if you're kind of scratching your head what it was, The Outcast came out in 92. and It is a classic Star Trek in that there is... The A story, which is like, oh no, problem in space, we must fix it. But the B story is the real story, which is an emotional arc between one of our beloved characters, in this case Riker, who encounters someone uh, who is alien to him, uh, and in this case comes from a planet and a culture called the Janai. And the Janai is sort of a flip of what uh, of of what. I shouldn't say what we have, but, a fl but what they have on, on that planet is they have no gender. It's a planet with no gender. Mm -hmm. And if you um, start feeling like you have, uh, that you identify as male or female, you are an outcast, hence the title. And you go through uh, corrective, they don't call it like electrosurgery. They yeah, call it like it's some kind of like elect conversion therapy. Yeah, conversion therapy, but they have a, a, a nice Star Trek name for it. And uh, that is the basic premise is, um, you know, for because they have to fix like there's like a there's like a dark matter black hole or something. It means that Riker and this uh, Soren, uh, this is a, a Janai who is identifying as a, as a woman, 
uh, they are like in a shuttlecraft alone a lot. <laughs> so they have a lot of <laughs> yeah, talks. Lots of tension. <laughs> That's basically the, the thing, which is great. It's class. It's like a, it's a one act play. It's a little drama, little nice 45 minute piece of literature as all great Star Trek is with just a dollop of sci-fi. Go fix the black hole, fly around in a starship, beam a lot of beaming in this one. <laughs> uh, but really, it's a love story with a twist, which is Riker... Uh, helping this woman come to find her own identity, him kind of figuring out how he feels about her, and she feeling oppressed that she cannot come out of the closet ostensibly. Right. And when the when the script was written, uh, it wasn't really conceived as a trans story. It was conceived as a gay in the closet story. Mm-hmm. That was sort of the initial premise. Now in 2017, where gay rights are, that battle has mostly been won or at least has made great strides i would say for Mm -hmm. most people uh there's like a second element to it so uh that's the setup and here's where i say my opinion about this is one thing but your opinion is the one that i'm really much more interested in so Mm -hmm. you sat down to watch this yes on your netflix on my command (laughs) and you'd never really watched the next generation before you'd heard about it yeah no star trek tv shows and you like sci-fi you're not anti-sci-fi i do yeah i think i just have been intimidated by the sheer number of episodes and i don't know where to begin where do i start that is that is a a consideration that uh, is definitely needs to be thought about there are over 700 episodes you ranked them all i remember this (laughs) i did rank them all for playboy.com uh so there you sometimes you need something like this to dunk you in yeah so you jumped straight into the outcast and you were able like you knew who everybody was like you didn't have any generally i mean i wasn't familiar with everyone's names per se but like i've seen their faces before Um, yeah i'm like yeah i know this guy i've seen him around um generally yeah i had an idea of of um, we were talking about before um like i've seen star trek parodies before so i kind of get the under overall setup of what you know the ship looks like and everyone's roles so so oliver's first episode uh and they catch a poker scene um with like wharf being like a jerk like uh what is it it's like uh wild cards are for the week you know that's like such a like even like a a die in the world Star Trek fan would kind of roll their eyes at that scene. I'm like, oh, it's such typical Worf nonsense. It's hilarious, but it's it's funny that that's the first thing you see. Okay, so I want to know. You turn it on, you hit play. Yeah. How does it go for you? Um, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like, I really had a great time. I think my perspective of Star Trek, um, you said there was an A plot and a B plot. I guess I always assumed it was just sci-fi stuff, that there was all of this sort of sci-fi high-tech talk around mm. wormholes and black holes and all this stuff, and I didn't realize there was as much of a human element. So seeing this really emotional story about this person who feels like an outsider in their society and is having these conflicting feelings, like, that was really powerful to me. Um, and, yeah, so it was really exciting to learn that the show does have that um, right. human element, not, not to be offensive in any way. Yeah, and say, yeah, yeah. I didn't think so. But, um, yeah, I, but I have conflicted feelings about the episode in general. Um, you mean about the 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 trans uh, the sort of the way it handles gender and sexuality. Okay, bring it yeah, on. Yeah, so we, should we jump into that? Jump, bring it on. Okay, I do want to say. I mean, f- but also remember, I want to. It's 1992 when this was. Of made, course, so yes. I have with to keep that as myself. an umbrella, on, you know. But but tell us what your thoughts were. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting you say that this was written as sort of an episode about sexuality and about a, like a gay character coming out, and I can see that it. It's going in that direction. It's about this relationship between Soren and Riker. And 
looking at it, obviously, in, t- in today's perspective, it reads more as a story about gender identity. Mm-hmm. But I can see that in 92, um, and even in some cases now in, in TV, there's often a conflation between gender and sexuality and sort of a misunderstanding that those two things are separate. And those experiences are um, inherently separate in that, you know, someone's gender is how they experience themselves internally and how they view themselves, whereas um, sexuality is, you know, who you're attracted to externally. And um, so they're very different experiences. These are two dials that, for many, have no correlation with one another. Yeah. I mean, sure, there can be ways that they inform one another within a person, but um, your gender identity isn't a direct correlation of how you identify um, as far as your sexual preference. And a lot of movies and TV have sort of misunderstood that over yeah. the years. Um, so this episode seems to be uh, wanting to comment on sexuality, but it uses gender to do it, which if that were to air today, wouldn't be, you know, right. um, so the for, best way to approach it. I think what you're for. So the scene when they're like they're fixing the shuttlecraft and um, Soren is like, I, I, I. I feel that I am a woman, mm-hmm. and then she's like, and I've got the hots for you. You're right. saying, like, that doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing. Right. Like, those are two different yeah. ideas, essentially. Um, and that speech that she sort of has when she's, you know, underneath the, yeah, yeah. the seat, which is such a weird place to, like, come out. She's, like, hiding underneath <laughs> the is. control panel. She visually is. She's hiding under control panel. <laughs> she's, like, in the shadows. I she's guess like there's some symbolism. She's, turning the screws a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, but what she says, I found really beautiful, and that kind of spoke to me as a trans person um, and as a non-binary person because she she does identify as non-binary within her society in a sense like her society is genderless right and um, there's a sense that they they've sort of stripped away the gender binary of male and female and then they're living outside of that right Um, well that's just the norm like if you don't do that right you're just you're, you're a freak if you if you if you choose to right so that she's afraid of being ostracized because there are some that she tells this terrible story about someone in her school who was older Mm -hmm. who started to identify as male and he got beat up right yeah which was really heartbreaking story yeah yeah Yeah. it is i mean the thing that is before they introduce that part of the story the first like 20 minutes of the episode she's just talking about how her society views gender and before we get to the ostracization ostracization part um I love that because her society is like we've evolved beyond gender. You know, it's like kind of a put down. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like we've sort of figured out how to reach equality without all of these constructs that our society is built around as far as what men should do, what women should do. And I love that. I was like, that's totally badass. Like, I'd love to live in that world. And also it is to an extent in keeping with the Star Trek utopia in general, because Mm. later when she's like quizzing other characters. She quizzes Riker, like, what is it to be male? And he was like, tell me about your sex organs. And he's like, uh. (laughs) And Riker, you know, the guy, you know, Jonathan Frakes, he's like Mr. Cool. I mean, he's a very cool guy. I mean, everybody loves this guy. Um, And he handles it, like, he's he's a bit macho, but he's also, like, very sensitive. He's the most sensitive macho guy you'll ever meet. That's Mm -hmm. what Riker is. So he's (laughs) very understanding and very cool. And then he she starts quizzing Dr. Crusher, and she's very girly. You know, she wears a lot of lipstick and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he says when when uh, Soren gets all the facts, uh, she's like, "Oh, so men are treated uh, as a superior," and Doctor Crusher's like, "Well, for centuries, yes, but not anymore." You know, <laughs> we're on. Where's the Star Trek lady? I mean, you know, you got to know your surroundings. We are in the utopia yeah. where women and men are treated 
equally and and maybe that wasn't true in the original series of Star Trek but by the time we get to next generation it is and certainly when Captain uh, Janeway's in charge and she's the arguably one of the best captains ever in Starfleet praise be unto her um, you know there is true gender parity in the world of Star Trek uh, so she's kind of like please you know there's no sex there's no patriarchy here get out of here but then she's like well then why do you have gender at all like what do you, you know yeah. we inseminate our young on like husks or whatever <laughs> yeah. she talks about the reproduction process and it's very vague like I couldn't quite understand what she was saying yeah I don't that. know <laughs> it was, but she um, did say that it was very pleasurable she yeah. made sure to make that point well because <laughs> Riker because Riker's a bit of a man's man so you know she's like how do you um, how do you uh, reproduce and he's like well we the male inseminates the female and the, the fetus gestates and blah 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 and so sexy. Right, right. And then he's like, she's like, why would you do that when you could do it our way? And he's like, well, the courting ritual is nice. There's a oneness. Uh, but you can see he's dancing around because it's like, he's like, because I want to get it on with the lady. And he's like, and it's, he gives that smile. He's like, and it is quite pleasurable. But no, what she <laughs> says is, our fetuses are incubated in fibrous husks, which the parents inseminate. From what we know of other species, our method is less risky and less painful. All right, all right, there you go. Yeah, and less enjoyable, he, Riker says. And he goes, for humans, a sexual act brings it closest and intimacy. So anyway, it was, um, that is, you know, great fun, I thought. And played down. Like, it's, you know, you know, Star Trek Next Generation in the early, and this was already season five, but in the earlier seasons has been um, criticized as being uh, too utopian. Like, they're all in these dopey jumpsuits mm. and in, like, this brown sort of, like, Marriott lobby, you know, just like with this like weird looking, weird looking furniture, and the vibe about anything medical or psychological or sexual is like is like sex ed class. Like it's all very uh-huh. we're going to be upfront, we're going to be mature, and we're going to talk about it. Which goes away by the time you get to Deep Space Nine, which okay. is why there is a TNG DS Nine divide on a number of topics, and Deep Space Nine is the much more realistic of the two shows, but the TNG is the much more like sort of like in a hermetically sealed bubble and I within myself struggle about which I prefer because you know there's I I like them both for different reasons so um, so anyway so that was that was one of your criticisms was how you felt that the writing of the character of Soren maybe was a bit uh, not that forward-thinking in its conflation of gender and sexuality. Yes, and and that's understandable for the time because yeah. I don't think um, sort of gender studies had evolved as much that you know the writers on Star Trek maybe would have been aware yeah. about um, those differences. But but I think there are parts of the episode that speak both to gender identity and to sexuality um, that looking at it today I did find really moving in different ways. Specifically the when she sort of comes out to him underneath the seat and. She just sort of has this little speech about, you know, I, I grew up in the society that told me that I'm not supposed to, you know, be the certain way and I can't identify in a certain way, but I've known my whole life that this is who I am. And I think that in itself really speaks to um, a lot of experiences for trans folks that yeah. um, growing up in a, in a society that tells you that you have to behave or act according to a certain sort of set of standards. Um, of course, in her world, there are none. It's just deleted all gender. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did find that um, to, to to speak really strongly to yeah. to this trans experience, trans experience. Yeah, I mean, when you were younger, there really weren't too many shows anywhere that were talking about. Oh this yeah, sort of thing not at all. Years. I mean, I 
didn't see a trans person or trans character, um, definitely not a trans person acting in anything as a kid, but I didn't see a trans character until like maybe Boys Don't Cry, um, which, which was horrible 90s. movie because she gets killed and <laughs> it's devastating. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I grew up knowing yeah. that to be a trans man means you're gonna get murdered. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's harrowing. Um, yeah. And then there were, there were other things. Maybe when I was in a high school as a teenager, but still portrayals that really misunderstood identity in so many ways that it it was um, more detrimental to see them than to you not know, see them. I can understand that, yeah. So had you seen this when, when you were younger, maybe this would have been inspiring. It could have, yeah. Oh, yeah. If only, go, if only we had a device that would go back in time. Send me like, back. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know that it's out there, though, because there are, there are you know, young people who are, you know, going to be watching this, and maybe it will, well, even with some of the criticisms you have, I mean, it's still ultimately a, a positive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the fact that they did this episode, I think... It's pretty awesome for 92. Yeah. But it does end very sad. Yes. It yes. ends, I mean, it ends with, there's the thing that maybe didn't hit for you, which is when Riker goes to speak with Picard, and he goes into that room looking for Picard, who's like his father figure, to say, yeah, go and go and save the princess. And, mm-hmm. she, and, and Picard is like, I can't really tell you to do that. Although he knows... What he does is he's I'm going to turn a blind eye to whatever you're going to do next, but I can't sanction it because you're going to break what's called the prime directive. You might have heard that. You might have heard the phrase in the show and said, "What the hell is that?" Right? Yeah, but yeah, I think so. Yeah, the prime directive is like the number one guy. It is the it is the first principle of Starfleet. It is the number one thing that that you're supposed to do that Kirk would always break, but Picard would really try not to. Which is when they're out there flying around the galaxy, interacting with other species. If if those species are not part of the Federation, they can't really um, go in their guns blazing and change their laws or interfere with their internal politics unless there are lives at stake. Okay. Like if one group is about to slaughter another group, yeah, then the Federation can come in. But when it's, you know domestic policy like you know we have someone who is breaking our laws and we're going to give them re-education or whatever they're calling mm. it in a, and it's gone through a trial it's like you can't really get involved that's like the prime directive is we can't we don't have the right to get involved there okay which is where a lot of this sort of uh the gray area of morality comes in with a lot of star trek um uh, some of the best Star Trek ignores the, the Prime Directive, and this is a case where Picard is like, there's really nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, Riker goes down anyhow, and Picard knows he's going to do this, and Worf stands with him. I shall never let a warrior go into <laughs> battle alone, which is awesome. Uh, and they get there, and they're too late. Yeah. And she's had her uh, re-education surgery or whatever, her laser and, yeah, um, I don't even know what it is. Is it like it, they don't therapy you know, they or some kind of they zap her with a gun? Yeah, some kind of they, they put her in a chair device. and they zap her, and um, it's very sad. Uh, but the character seems happy. He's like, "Oh, I see the way now. I was I was sick, and now I'm healed." And that's a lot of what convert you know conversion therapy is a real thing in this mm-hmm. in this culture. I mean, our, our the great vice president of the United States, Michael J. Pence, is a big fan of it, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. seems to think that it. It, it is uh, something that needs to be done, which is terrifying. So it ends on a pretty sad note. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty so, grim. Yeah. Yeah. But she does sort of, before um, they do the surgery or before they do the, the conversion therapy or whatever it is, she does sort of have one last, you know, triumphant moment where she sort of speaks out at the, it's like a court hearing or yes. something. And, yeah. and she does have this moment where she kind of stands up for herself and like, I'm for her rights and, and yeah. the other people that exist in that society as outcasts. So there's... 
a little bit of redemption there that she gets to declare yeah, her identity. Yeah, it's a great scene. She says, I'm tired of the lie, because Riker's going to try to get her off on a technicality and take the blame. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm tired of the lies. I, I am going to be who I'm going to be. And it seems very uplifting. Yeah. They carry her away. And the next scene, she's like a Stepford wife. And she's like, zonk. So, yeah. But, I mean, you know, part of that was in the other thing is in on TNG, that was still a style of television where the episode has to end kind of how it begins. You, mm. you can't really just introduce new love interests and expect them to stay around the next week. It would be that very rare. Old school television didn't have that sort of thing where... Uh, you know, once in a while they would. You know, they would meet somebody, and then they come back in the next season. But by and large, if Riker's going to fall in love with someone, but there's a conflict, uh, same with the next episode we're going to talk about, the host. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a hunch that they're not going to be there by the end. You know, there's going to be a tearful farewell. Right. So. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Uh, yeah, so the next one that you watched, which was you going, did we? Did you have any other notes on the, uh, um, the outcast that you wanted to bring up? I think I, no, I think we're good. Um, so I'd asked you to watch the episode uh, Rejoined, yeah. which is very famous from Deep Space Nine, uh, which, of course, is the famous episode from it aired in October of 95, Deep Space Nine, where Dax meets um, her ex-wife uh, uh, from one of her previous hosts. And, the, and, there's, and this was a big deal in 1995 because it had... A big whopping lesbian kiss, right? Uh, which did not, uh, with no diffuse lighting, it's it went right in there. Yeah, which hackled, you know, some some you know some sensations wouldn't air it. It was like a, mm. it was news at the time. Yeah, it, not, it was it's it major. Was, it was major. It was not the first gay kiss or sort of the first lesbian kiss on television, but it was one of the first. But you um, went off menu, <laughs> and you said, oh, you were Googling about Dax, and you went and watched the episode of The Host, which was actually c- came out a year before The Outcast. Okay. The Host was the first time we ever learned about the Trill, and I wish I could yeah. have warned you, because there was a bit of retconning. Trills become a major and important race on DS9, Jadzia, who you met, the lovely Terry Farrell, mm-hmm. who's wonderful, and then... Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to spoil something for you because you might actually start watching DS9. But anyway, so uh, the trills are a big deal, but they were first introduced on uh, uh, Next Generation. It aired on the 13th of May, 1991. So before the outcast, even, right. uh, there was the episode The Host. And I got to say, like, I love all my Star Trek episodes equally. You know, they're all wonderful. This isn't like my favorite. It's a little mm-hmm. hokey, but there are parts of it that are good. Um, but there are parts of of uh, trillness that are the, not the same. But let's forget yeah. about lore and mythos of trill. Let's just talk about it as a individual piece of television. Uh, this does have a punchline at the end 
where Dr. Uh, Crusher uh, is in love with uh, uh, Odan, mm-hmm. and then Odan is reborn as a woman, and Dr. Crusher. The way they write it is pretty. They don't shouldn't come out and say, "Whoa, I'm I'm not into the ladies," but it's just like they kind of dance around. There's yeah, a, there's a. There's a there's a whiff of homophobia there. There is, yes. <laughs> but it's not a it's it's not a whiff that lingers. Like they dance around it as well as they could for 1991 when they shouldn't have danced at all. If you know what I mean. The exact right. quote is, um, something about like the limit of her love, or she's uh, she says something about perhaps it is a human failing. Yeah. But we are not accustomed to these kinds of changes. Mm-hmm. Now, you can interpret that as, ew, you're a girl and get out of here. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I mean, some people are, are only into heterosexual partners. I mean, that's, that's kosher, I guess. But uh, but the whole show is about how love is love, and she's in love right. with a worm, for God's sake. So, no, <laughs> screw that. And she's willing to get down with Riker, who's yes. been her co-worker. This is my point, yes. For for many years now, and her bro, she calls him is like a brother to me. Yeah, so she's cool to make out with him. Well, have you looked but... at Riker? He's very handsome. Right, yes, but <laughs> no. with all of the hesitation she presents, yeah. you know. But when it comes to this nice, sweet, new Odam, who's this actress ex, who's a very, you know, she's a very beautiful woman, this is who she comes in. I mean, uh, Kareel is the actress, is, is the character's name. So what happens was, um, and we'll get we'll go back to it. But in case you, you just, you, she says, perhaps it is a human failing, but we are not accustomed to these kinds of changes. I can't keep up. How long will you have this host? What will the next one be like? I can't live with that kind of uncertainty. Perhaps someday our ability to love won't be so limited. Now, what this is to me is they had painted themselves into a corner. Hmm. They had written a great episode. And they had a great twist ending, and they're like, "Ah oh, hell, how do we get out of this where we can bring back status quo next week, where this character is off the ship, Crusher doesn't look like uh, a bigot, and but we also don't want to offend and make it seem as if Crusher's ready to like have a lesbian affair, because that opens a lot of doors, because there had never been any same-sex relationships on Star Trek, which had been right. a sticking point. Um, uh, P- uh, Roddenberry did say that he wanted to have a gay character for Next Generation, and allegedly Paramount nixed it, and there was talk about doing it, and then it never happened. And then TNG never had one, and then Deep Space Nine, they had Dax, which we'll get to Mm -hmm. as a troll, the the troll, the Trill, who's sort of a pansexual creature, but nothing, nothing... Nothing, nothing, re- you know, nothing that we would identify as a gay character. Right, not an explicitly gay character. And then on Enterprise, there was going to be one, and then there's ta- there's the rumor that the character Malcolm Reed was going to be gay, and they changed it. And then finally in the movies, the new movies, they made uh, Sulu blink and you miss him gay mm-hmm. in the last movie. I mean, and it was good because they downplayed it, but and they didn't make a big deal. And clearly, if you have your eyes open... Wide open. That you'll see... Yeah, <laughs> you gotta watch. Be, you gotta watch. You yeah. gotta watch. And we've talked about it a lot on this show, and we even had the writer and the actor who played Doug uh, Jung, is the guy's name, who played mm, Sula's right. husband. Um, it's there, but it's pretty... It's nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And then in the tie-in comics, which came after, they talk about Sulu's husband a lot, and they even use the word husband, but those are the comics. Not a lot of people read the comics. Mm-hmm. And then finally on Discovery, they're just like, forget it, we're on streaming. Yeah. <laughs> it's all over now. So they finally, finally, finally have a plain old 
good old fashioned gay character, and it's like no big deal. That's the best thing about it. Is it's like we just, you know, we love them because they're great. Okay, yeah. so let's bring it back a little bit to 1991. Okay, back you have back in time now. You got Odam, Odan, and he is a trill, and he they're going to again. It's it's classic A story B story. They're going to some planet. Because uh, there's a, a civil war about to break out. I love they show the little diagram of like they're like sucking energy from a, oh, from yes. one planet, and it's like interfering with Moon B, and Moon B's like getting hit with the rays, but Moon A doesn't give a shit, and they're like, ah, <laughs> we want the oil. <laughs> so this dude, Odan, he's the only uh, diplomat who can save them, uh, who can cut a deal because what his father would cut a previous deal. Turns out it wasn't a father, it was a previous host. The Trills mm-hmm. are are uh races where they the main uh life form and this is what changes from the host to the next. Yeah, I was going to ask about this because but... the in this in 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 the sh- in the show the host the ho- the host body completely goes to sleep when the worm is in the belly. Right. So it's just the symbiont. It's just right. the symbiont. Later in Star Trek it becomes a fusion, which is much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, meanwhile, Odan is on the ship for a couple weeks, and he and Beverly Crusher are in love, and uh, you know that's great, and she's glowing, and she's doing her nails, and 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 they're they're very risque, and they they're like sneaking off to make love while Data is like, oh, I'd like to see you in my chambers to discuss computer, blah, 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 blah. and they're like, Data, go away. You you knew who Data was, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he, and he's. I just I don't know how I know who he is, yeah, but I just a, know who he is. He's a big pain in the ass. He's a ro- he's the robot. He's <laughs> he's uh, people love him. He's a big jerk. He's a C three PO. No, he's not C three PO. He's not. He's he's Spock meets C three PO meets. <sighs> he's just Data. He's his yeah. own thing, you know. Yeah. But it's it, it, he's very much played for comedy in this uh, in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um. So then the twist comes uh, where we discover that the being of Odan is irrelevant to the body. It is the spirit, mm-hmm. which is a nice message for all because it, it, I think it would interest. Uh, the, there's a speech that somebody gives at some point along the way about, uh, about how well, just pretty much just what I said, how it's the spirit and not the body. And I think this is something that could be touching to people who are uh, have disabilities or have all sorts of. You know, uh, you know. I think would would uh, people who are trans would would find this interesting, and then they kind of piss it all away with this ending that we just talked <laughs> yeah. about. So, what were your thoughts while you were while you were watching this? Yeah, well, so I'd watch this one first because I did a little research yeah. and read that this was the introduction of the symbiont. Am I saying that right? Symbiont. 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 Yeah. Symbiont. Okay. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll watch this one first to understand it, and I really loved that idea that this symbiont is like the soul this like just your being and your entire essence and that the body that it resides in isn't really relevant to one's identity in a sense it's sort of just like the suit that you wear yeah. right it's just like the 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 outfit you're walking around in yeah um i feel that way in the morning sometimes my back hurts i'd be like ah oh, i wish i was just a symbiont it'd be much easier <laughs> right just like take yeah. it out go in a different body um so i kind of love that i mean it's not explicitly a trans character in any way but looking at it from you know my perspective i saw it as just a being that uh, sort of exists as they are outside of gender, whether they're in a male body or a female body. And when um, the the symbiont, I keep saying it wrong, symbiont, you know what I mean? Symbi- I think it's symbiote. Symbiote? The worm. Okay, whenever the worm thing yeah. is, um, 
yeah, it's placed in this woman's body at the end. It's it's heartbreaking because this person, Odon, is like, I'm I'm still me. I still love you yeah. to Dr. Crusher. Um, but she can't see past the gender of this character, which is, yeah, there's like a whiff of homophobia yeah. in that yeah. for sure. But the other thing that I really liked about this um, or that I found interesting was after uh, Dr. Crusher learns of Odon's identity and like learns that he's this worm thing, she's really upset and she gets um, really angry at him and she sort of, you know, refuses to talk to him and is just sort of like kind of lashing out and uh, says something. I kind of I think I wrote it down. Um, She's just upset for him for, for not, you know, explaining it to her Um, and then he says you know like it never occurred to me to explain this it never occurred to me that to you know explain who I am like I think he says uh, would it ever occur to you to say that you're a single being right right it never yes and I found that kind of awesome that it's just this idea of like they're both the same and why would you sort of need to describe your identity, if that's just who you are, if that's inherent to your being. Right. Um, it never occurred to me, this is what I am. Did it ever, did you ever tell me that you were only a single being? Of course not. That was normal to you. Right. Yeah. yeah. So just like sort of the naturalness of, of those identities and how they're both just sort of natural yeah. to each of them. Yeah. Um, and sort of the expectation that she has that he should have told her, I think speaks a lot to, um, just uh, that I've noticed a lot in the trans community that a lot of cisgender people will sort of expect trans people to out themselves and to um, there's sort of this expectation that we need to explain ourselves and explain our identity and um, if if we don't sometimes cis partners can get angry and, and like lash out at trans people for not being explicit about who they are, which is just a very unfair assumption. Right. So right. that, to me, felt really reminiscent of huh. that experience. Well, you know, because I'm thinking back to around the same time this came out, there was the movie The Crying Game, mm, right? which I'm yes. sure you've seen or mm-hmm. heard about at least. Yeah. And I actually, uh, and that became one of the first, like, don't spoil the ending or don't spoil the middle, really. Right. And I actually did see that movie before anybody was talking about it, mm-hmm. years ago before the internet. <laughs> um, because I'd seen Neil Jordan's other film, uh, The Miracle, and I'm like, oh, there's a new movie by this guy. And I was very young, so I was a schmuck, and I didn't. I just thought that uh, – I didn't know what – you know. I, when the character came on the screen, I thought this is a woman. Mm-hmm. And um, then there's the big reveal. Takes mm-hmm. off the pants, and there's a big penis on the screen, and, and – you know, the movie now is really it's played for shocks. You know, it's maybe not the most progressive movie ever made, even though they do kind of form a, a friendship and relationship at the end. Mm-hmm. But that's that shot is definitely played as a uh, like a jump scare, right? Yeah, you know? and that just sort of became a trope. Like that was one yeah. of the first movies that used um, the reveal of a trans character as sure. a twist. Yes, and used it sort of as. Um, as a twist that you sort of despise and you're not supposed to like and you're supposed to sort of reject it. Well, I mean, I do. And so the character played by Stephen Ray is falling in love with uh, Jay Davison's character, I forget mm-hmm. the name, and is, uh, you know, is is straight. And when he sees that this person has a male sex organ is repulsed, I guess, or frightened or mm-hmm. not expecting it. Yeah. And I think at the time, 99.9% of the people watching the movie are on his side. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm, and probably. that's I think that's the way the movie plays it. Also, is that, and then Jay Davis's character would be like, "I thought you knew," because there was a whole plot thing. Like he met him through, there was a plot machination of how they learned about this. Okay, like, 
there was a, it was like an IRA bombing plot, and oh, like, I don't remember. There was like a whole thing. Like I thought you knew because he because Stephen Ray's character is pretending to be friends with somebody that he wasn't because mm-hmm. he murdered Forrest Whitaker, and mm-hmm. then he's trying to find out more about Forrest Whitaker's life because I think he thinks now he killed the wrong guy, mm-hmm. so he mm-hmm. pretends to be friends with Forrest Whitaker. So that was sort of the I wasn't fooling you. I just figured you knew. And then there were other, like, I remember my mom saw it and she's like, oh, I knew immediately. How did you know? Well, you could tell, you know, by, mm. how long you did. I didn't know anything. Well, anyway, um, <clears throat> but the point I'm making is you're right. I think most people would consider if there was like a dating situation, if somebody is trans and they don't, they're not upfront about that. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of cisgendered people would be like, whoa, you got to tell me that. Right, yes. There's definitely right. this assumption that um, that trans people have an obligation right, to out right. themselves, which um, is just really an unfair assumption that someone should have to yeah. explain that in order to just go on a date or just to be with someone. Right, right. And, and there's a long history of violence against trans people, sure, especially yeah. trans women, for you know not coming out and people lashing out against them for for almost the sense of betrayal that you know you didn't right. tell me the truth of who you were. Like that scene you get you get into the bedroom and you and then you reveal the sex organ you right. were expecting expecting and they get beaten up or something. Right. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's a long trope of that across you know especially horror films and um, yeah, it's just yeah. uh, you know representing trans people as sort of like monstrous or these like villains that yeah. have these like harbor these secrets or something. So that's got to be. Is there like a term for that in the trans community of like when when do I reveal or do like because I could I as you know I'm not on the dating scene and haven't been for quite some time but I you know I could sort of understand a cisgendered person you know you, you you're like I would you know you didn't know you were getting this you know I could sort of understand not anger but just like you know when when was this part of the conversation you know you yeah. date somebody named Mandelbaum you expect them to be Jewish and you find out they're Catholic <laughs> you know it's different from that, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. But is there, like, that must be a topic of much discussion of when yeah. I don't think he knows, I don't think she knows, mm-hmm. uh, we've only been texting, uh, we're meeting for coffee, we met for coffee, but it was brief. Uh, you know, that's got to be something that occupies a lot of mental space. Yeah, yeah, and it's know? a difficult thing to decide It's something I've never thought you're... about before the conversation, frankly. Yeah. It's never, never really entered my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something that a lot of trans people do have to think about a lot, especially if someone... Um, is passing, which is like a term when they, I don't know if I should define that or something. Well, no, no, um, but you can explain it. Yeah, uh, someone is passing as a gender, um, so they may not appear to be trans when you meet them, but you know, what does it even mean to be trans really, um, when right. you really think about it, um, that there's no like one way or one definition, but um, someone may appear to be passing as a cis person who is trans. And um, yeah, it's a topic of conversation of when that person feels comfortable with with coming out if they do. Um, and I mean, there's no one answer. There's no like right. one right. narrative to it. It's sort of just something that is up to each person to decide when they feel comfortable and especially when they feel safe in a situation yeah. to um, to sort of um, be explicit about their identity or their past. But yeah. it's the same thing of like if you're going to go on a date with someone, do you want to know their their entire history? Do you, like, do you ask they, them? They have two kids, but they haven't told you yet. It's right? Yeah. Things. I mean, it's I mean they're different, but yeah. it's um, you know it's up to each person to sort of yeah. Whether or not As if life wasn't more, wasn't complicated it. enough. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's something that I hadn't thought about. So. Um, but within this yeah. episode, the way that Odon responds, I thought, was just a really smart way of saying, like, I don't owe you anything. Like, yeah. I'm just, if you yeah. love me, why do you need to know Right. And I think the show was, was on his side at that point. Yeah, yeah, it feels yeah. like. Even though it's not, you know, explicitly about being trans, it sort of 
is supporting his notion of like I'm just me and you yeah. have no right to be upset with that. Yeah, I think like I say how at the end they sort of painted themselves into a corner because you never want to make your characters the bad guy. And so they would never mm-hmm. want to make Dr. Crusher look like she's closed-minded or I, I think it's just she sort of is exhausted and she's like I can't she she gives him and it's not you it's me is what it is. <laughs> and yeah. and it, it she basically gets away with it, but it, it is interesting how um, you feel sorry for Odon at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do tease it because he asked Picard, like, would she ever want to leave Starfleet? Because if they're going to really have yeah. a relationship, she's on, you know, she's flop flying around the galaxy half the time, oftentimes going into battle. And he's a diplomat to this, you know, so they, you know, when would they see each other? So it was a doomed relationship from the start. Yeah. But it is... Uh, Another one that kind of ends on a sad note, mm-hmm. but a very unique one because you're a little bit disappointed in Dr. Crusher. But I think that when this came out in 91, probably not as disappointed as we are today. I think our perception of this situation has evolved a little bit. Um, like right. the, the whole conversation yeah. we were having before is something that I think, you know, certainly when this came out or when The Crying Game came out, was a perspective that a lot of people weren't taking into account. I think most people back then would say that it, the onus is on a trans person to make sure everybody knows what's happening. Um, and I, I bet you there are a lot of people who feel that way now, but I think... Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Know, it's something that is changing. I mean, mm-hmm. like I said like when we started, this is something that in mainstream dialogue is very, very new. I mean, Caitlyn Jenner was yeah. three, four years ago. I mean, and there's so many... Um, you know, trans figures in pop culture, Laverne Cox, um, and so many actors and, and activists like Janet Mock, who are just more in the, the spotlight now, who have more of a platform to talk about their experiences. Yeah. Um, so more sort of audiences and just, you know, Americans in general are being introduced to yeah. these identities more so um, than they were previously. Hey, as someone who writes about this a lot and as someone who's living it, and and, and you are one of the more visual visible people writing about this in pop culture. I mean, you're at the top of the pyramid here, so I gotta ask you, what what's your take on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race? I love Drag Race. It's funny. It's fun, yeah. yeah. My wife, I, my wife was watching it at first, and I mm-hmm. would kinda come in and out of the room, and I, I was like, in the next room I hear amazing puns. <laughs> I must find out what's happening. And I would watch, yeah. and you know, she, liked it be I, I don't know what, what brought her to it but she was oh, this is a funny show you gotta watch it I don't watch it religiously but mm-hmm. every time I watch it like the, the zings are unstoppable <laughs> yeah I mean it's so much fun yeah yeah. but like politically is it kosher like they use the word tranny a lot I know that's not yeah I think and... RuPaul's really reappropriated that word in a sense yeah. um, and they've also changed some things the words that they used to use um, in earlier seasons on the show he's taken out of the show they used to use the term shemale which is really offensive to trans right. folks. But they did it uh, in terms of like getting your email. Right, yeah. So, so it, was it was a was funny a, pun, but, but they um, decided to nix it. They the eventually took it, it yeah. out. Okay. And I mean, so that show is, is about drag performers, which, and, and people that do drag are very different than trans folks. 100%. Some um, of the people are trans. Yes, the they show. are. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of performers, um, or a lot of contestants, have come out as trans since being on the show. Yeah. Um, so there is a difference. And. The trans community and the drag community are different, although they do overlap at yeah. points. Um, but I mean, I think RuPaul's great. I, it's pretty hard blast. to to like. There there might be one or two fuddy duddies out there that think it's 
a step back, but that's a hard argument to make, I think. It's I think anything that's showcasing, like, diverse queer and trans people is yeah. a step forward, you yeah, know? Sure. Even if there are mistakes, like, as RuPaul shows, like, they learn from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. This just in. RuPaul's Drag Race gets thumbs up. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Anything else you want to say about the host? I think those are all my notes. All right. Good. Yeah. So that was extra credit anyhow. <laughs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. So then the the biggie was uh, rejoined, and this came out in 95. And according to lore, um, the people who wrote it, uh, was it Ronald D. Moore and Michael Piller? Let's see. No, it was Ronald D. Moore and Rene Echeverria. Um to hear uh to look at it here they they weren't trying to make a grand statement about homosexuality or being in the closet or anything um they were were just interested in the character of Dax mm-hmm. and they had done a previous episode where uh Dax who was now on her you know seventh host or whatever uh there was something where she was put on trial for something one of her previous hosts had done. And so they were always exploring, like, the the lives of Dax. You know, it comes up later. There's a ritual the Trills have called the Jintiara ritual in which mm. other friends get to appear as the previous hosts and they all have, like, a powwow or something. Oh, cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, uh, Cisco, uh, the captain on this, knew Curzon Dax. They were not lovers so they were pals they get to associate in the next life mm-hmm. uh, but and of course Cisco always called Jedzia old man which is funny because Jedzia is played by a young woman so mm-hmm. it's meant for a laugh but when you start buying into Trill uh, lore you know Jedzia is the old man Jedzia although very young uh, uh, and, and beautiful and she has an old soul and very wise she's one of the wiser characters on the show <laughs> So uh, the premise of this one, in case you've forgotten, and it's one of the more famous Star Trek episodes, so I doubt anyone listening hasn't seen it. Uh, the in the customary uh, custom to Trill is when one of you, when when uh, the one host dies, the symbiont uh, goes on to a new host, and the past loves of that and fa- and family of that host, they're not supposed to associate. So when Curzon or Tari- Curzon was the one right before Jadzia, Tarias earlier, Emini Dax. When uh, Curzon dies, his wives 
close relatives. They're really not supposed to associate with Jadzia. This gets complicated later in like season seven of DS9, but I'm not oh, getting into okay. that now because I want you to keep watching. <laughs> so um, Jadzia is the new host. Now, unlike when you saw the episode of the host from TNG, mm-hmm. when there's a joined trill, the personality is sort of a hybrid. So Jadzia was an individual, okay. and not every trill can be a host. Um, okay. For a couple of reasons. One is there just the sheer numbers. There aren't that many symbionts around. And two, there's actually a scandal that happened, a political scandal you find out about on Trill. Like, they made it seem as if only certain people can do it, like have the oh. physio- physiognomy. Um, but really, that was like a uh, like it's an aristocratic thing. Like, they don't want oh, the lower But that's later. You learn okay. about that later. And it's not a – and it's a big scandal, you know. Mm. So there are some people who are raised, like, you are going to be a host someday, and that is okay. an honor. And that's just like a person, like the trill. Yeah, regular trill is just like an existing person. When they person. come of age, they go to like tr- they have training, mm-hmm. and they say someday I shall be a host. What happens later is there's like an accident, so like somebody has to become a host that isn't planning to. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. <laughs> so uh, when Curzon Dax is an old old man and is about to croak, uh, as he's laying there on his deathbed, young Jadzia comes into the room and this is like shown in a flashback and she receives the worm in her belly and she becomes Jadzia Dax. Okay. So there Jadzia was a person beforehand but when she receives the Dax symbiont uh, she uh, symbiote I don't know how to pronounce it I've only been watching the show for a hundred years I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> it either. When she receives the worm she becomes whole and she has the memories of past Daxes and some of the attitudes. So like, oh, that's such a Tarias thing to say. Oh, that's such an Emony mm. thing to say. Oh, Kurz, you sound just like Kurzon right now. But she's still her own person. So it becomes a fascinating look at identity because uh, Jadzia was her own thing. Then she gets the Dax. She becomes a new thing. But she's got the echoes of seven other. Yeah. It's pretty wild. So the, the shtick is for this one, they're exploring. They're on the space station and... They're trying to create a stable wormhole, and some Trill scientists come to town, and the lead scientist is a woman by the name of Lanara Khan. And Lanara is a joined Trill, and three generations ago, that Trill was a woman, but was married to a male, Dax, Tarias, and they haven't seen each other since, and they still love each other, because why wouldn't they? Because Tarias died very suddenly, um, and... uh, now they're seeing each other again. This is the biggest taboo in Trill culture is to associate with one of your previous uh, spouses and do exactly what they don't do, which is rekindle their relationship. Much to the chagrin of all the... There's a scene where he might as well be hi- hiding behind a potted plant. The scene when they're in the bar and they... Oh. And they that's, <laughs> yeah. That's really... <laughs> Not Star Trek's finest hours, how they stage that. It's like they the camera pans up and like upstairs in the rafters, like <laughs> I just watching, watching them. Just standing there. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. All right, cool. So even though you only sort of knew, knew these characters, like there's this dude shows up with big ears named Quark, and he's the comic relief, obviously. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the doctor is very handsome, Dr. Julian Bashir. Where do you learn about him? He's got his own Meshagas. Oh, okay. He, he's uh, genetically enhanced and all this stuff. So uh, even though you didn't know these characters, you didn't know what the heck was going on, they're not as famous as Picard and Riker, you jump right in, and uh, what were your thoughts on uh, Rejoined, which aired originally a little later, I want to say it aired in October 30th, one day before Halloween, 1995. Wow, okay. So you were already like four years old. Yeah, it was, you know, 
Yeah. Way beyond. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so not having any previous knowledge of these characters, I still found this a really emotional episode. Yeah. I mean, I was super invested in it. I wanted Jadzia and Lenara, is that right? And Lenara yeah. to get together. I was rooting for them. Um, and, I mean, it's just such a fascinating look at identity. I, I do want to go back and watch more of Jadzia's arc now because, yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing to me that that she's not just Dax in the previous life, but she's Kurtzon and Dax and yeah. Tarius. And so it's like these multiple combinations of people yeah. and how do you draw the line between what they felt and what you feel? And that's just, you know, yeah. so Well, it's a great commentary on like, you know, the phrase, well, I'm not that guy anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not, I'm not the same person I was when I was 17, but there's the other cliche, nobody changes that much. And right. that's true. I mean, there's a lot about me that is the same as I was when I was 17. I have, you know, basic reflexive responses to things, but my attitudes, my demeanor has changed. You know, certain things I have a smidge more self control. I was somewhere recently where they were doing shots, and I was like, nope. <laughs> I was like, I have finally grown up. I'm You've not evolved. doing like I've evolved. I'm not doing this shot. I don't, you know, I do that once a year, and it's not tonight. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, uh, and and I think I think that's part of uh, part of this a little bit. But you're right; those scenes with her and Lenara are heartbreaking. You yeah, know, because they so clear and it's good acting. Also, I mean, yeah, Terry Farrell is very good, and the woman who played um, Lenara Khan, she's actually a Star Trek uh, favorite because she came back as the Borg Queen later. And I can't believe I'm blanking oh. on her name, uh, Susanna Thompson. Yeah, she was great. And Both of them. Yeah, she's been. She was uh, a board queen, and she's been on a lot of shows. She's you see. She looked familiar to me. I've seen her in a lot of uh, CSI. You've seen her in. um, uh, She's in a lot of movies. The Ballad of Jack and Rose. When a man loves a woman. (laughs) Ghost of Mississippi. Oh, I saw that. She's one of these actresses who just shows up a lot, but uh-huh. she's ter- but you really feel it. And and again, mm-hmm. for, even though ninety five wasn't that long ago, to show a same sex couple really like that the second scene in Dax's quarters, they're really just like bearing their souls about yeah. how much they care for each other, and you know they got away with it because you say, oh no, they're not they're not gay, uh, they're trill. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you could. You could, they could get out of it like the same way with right. we don't have a pronoun because it wouldn't right, say yeah. in, your, in your puny earth language. So, <laughs> you know, they could get away with it. But, but um, yeah, you could see why this would have been a little controversial for some of you know, the so-called red states to, yeah, uh, to be flipped out about this. This is, this is a family show. I don't want to watch this with my kids and see. See, I was racist to me. I'm being racist against the South right now. <laughs> I'm assuming that somebody that would have those opinions have a southern accent. Yeah, there are probably a good amount of a people good that amount, do. But you know, you're, you know, you know, I live in Queens, New York. You're going to find no. Uh, there's just as many homophobes and racists uh, that are my neighbors in Queens, New York. I'm sure. Than there are in, in Mississippi. Yeah, all so, over. So let's spread the love and say there are racists and homophobes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so getting back to your thoughts. So those scenes, they really they really resonate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you feel the tension between them. Even the first time where they're, um, I forget the third person that's working with them, and he steps out to like go back to his quarters. That was the brother, uh, Lenara's brother. So the brother I think so, of the yeah. host. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so then they're left alone together, and yeah. you sort of just feel that like building tension between these two people who you can just tell that they're former lovers, yeah. even though we don't get a backstory or we don't get you know, a flash 
flashback. We don't see them yeah. as former lovers. It's immediately feels real. Yeah. And you're just like, wait, like, can they be together, please? Like, yeah. Why and is there's this? That, that sweet scene where they go to dinner. I made fun of it a minute ago, but when Dr. Bashir is there, because <laughs> he's got to be the chaperone. Yeah. <laughs> and he's bored out of his mind. And they're just so happy to talk to each other. And it's not yeah. like romantic talk. It's not even like sexual talk. It's just like, oh, and you remember when? Like they're just like so happy to be together, like old friends are, yeah. and old, old lovers are. And it's so sad that they can't do it for real. Like she touches her hand, and they just got to move their hand away. Yeah, and yeah. So clearly, this works as a metaphor. I mean, even today, where there are some people who are closeted, or, or uh, you know, they're in an environment where where being gay is not allowed i mean look in russia right now or mm-hmm. other places like right. that in the middle east there's a lot of problems so um it's it's really heartbreaking you know yeah. it uh it um i think it still resonates you know and i hadn't watched this in a while but it uh it really it really does break your heart you know yeah i mean yeah it definitely resonates as something that you could watch today as just two same-sex people that can't be in a relationship. Yeah. And, I mean, I think it speaks more to sexuality than gender specifically because yeah. it gets into that a little bit, knowing that I think all of Jadzia's former hosts were men. I, I couldn't quite tell based on the uh, names. No, but... that, that's not... I don't think that's true, but okay. it's pretty vague. I mean, they don't get into it. In yeah. This, well, know? it seems the ones they talk about, Kurtzon yeah. and uh, Tarias. Tarias, yeah. So but, that's interesting that, yeah. that this symbiont has been in former male hosts and is now in a female body. And what does that mean? Carrying those those memories and those experiences as assumingly heterosexual men. And now she meets this woman. And how you know, how does she sort those feelings out? What does yeah. that mean? Yes. There is, a, there is in all three of these episodes... Um, a, a lot of heteronormativity. Yeah. Right? It's like that nobody says like there's the scene where Dr. Bishop when they first set it up because they were smart. They knew that a lot of people were going to watch this episode because mm-hmm. uh, it had this big controversial kiss. Right. And so they knew a person like you might parachute in and never seen it before. So there's a great so like exposition dump right outside of Quark's bar where uh Dr. Bashir and this character named Major Kira, who doesn't do much in this episode, mm. but my God, you would love Major Kira if you got to know. Oh her. yeah, She's okay. The, my favorite of all. <laughs> She's been a guest in the show many times. Um, uh. She's like, um, Dr. Major Kira's like, what's the deal? And Dr. She was like, well, I shall explain it to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, what she says is, my God, I can't believe that Trill culture would keep these two people apart. How could? anyone want two people who are in love to stay apart and they blame it all on the trills they never once make any reference to homophobia mm-hmm. or even make a reference to them both being women yeah it's a right. non-issue so in a way it's a win for a utopian ideal but the fact that they don't mention it is kind of strange for TV. Like, right. again, it's sort of they're having their cake and eat it too a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they're trying to skirt around it by not saying it's because of their gender. Right, right. But they're like, oh, no, it's just the Trill Society had these rules. And yeah. Don't worry about it. It's just yeah, I mean, it's similar to, um, you know, to, to the Janai. It's not like, wouldn't it have been interesting if the Janai pilot was like, uh, I'm feeling that I have a gender and I am, I feel that I am male and I'm in love with you, Riker. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, like that would have been, right. you know, that's you know, the 2018 version. That reminds me, I was going to ask you something. I was reading that um, 
the actor that played Riker, Frakes. Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. Um, Hallowed be his name. He apparently, um, this was on Reddit, so I don't have a good source. Okay. <laughs> but apparently he wanted to um, have a, a male actor playing the role of Soren in that episode, oh, I read. Cool. Which would be so interesting if yeah. this, you know, um, genderless character was played by a man and maybe they identified as a woman. Yeah. And that could also speak to interesting things about gender. And yeah. then these two characters who are more masculine are I drawn did, to each other. I didn't know that. That would have that would have blown minds. I mean, the show blows yeah. minds as it is. That would have really blown minds back then. Yeah. And I'm and I'm sure they nix it. But yeah, no, uh, Jonathan Frakes is a cool guy. So that would have been that would have been an extra extra spin on an already cool cool episode. Yeah. So when they when they reboot this, they'll do it then. So yeah. Um, We're cool. just giving any, them ideas for yeah, what to change. Any, any last thoughts on... Uh, so, di- of the three that you watched, which was your favorite? Ooh, um, I think I liked Rejoined the most, just because it felt the most tragic. Yeah. Especially at the ending, where you're waiting for Lenara to turn yeah. around and just yeah, well, stay D- with yeah, her. DS9, really, when it's grooving, it's really grooving. I think, to a total newcomer... DS9 is probably the best series to watch. Um, the Next Generation is, like, I love it because I remember when I was 13 and watching the premiere in my grandmother's kitchen, and it means so much to me growing <laughs> up. But it is a little dated in its look, uh, in its style, uh, some of its performances, and in just sort of the, um, you know, ship of the week, uh, you know, planet of the week type storytelling. I love it, you know, more than anything, but I do recognize that it is maybe a little difficult. It's almost even easier to to watch the original series from the 60s to a total newcomer because that's so dated and also so iconic. Mm. And those characters are really great. And I mean, you know Kirk Spock and Bones and McCoy and and, and Uhura and all them. Um so but DS9 still even though it's getting old now. It's it's you know this is from '95 and it's starting to look a little creaky in terms of uh, some of its shooting style and the editing and whatnot. It still feels contemporary, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, this has all been part of a vast scheme on my part to get you into watching DS9 because <laughs> now you know the characters and once you get into it, it is the most serialized and the most peak TV of them all. Yeah, so, uh, you well, know, pretty successful because now I'm I'm into it. I want to go back. It. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, so that was your favorite one, um, mm-hmm. and uh, be- because of just the, the emotional heft, really, of, of the scene. Yeah, I just feel like not knowing anything about that series in particular, um, about Deep Space Nine, and just jumping into that episode, I totally felt attached to those characters, and for a show to do that, I mean, yeah. it's impressive. And even though there's not much of the captain, it happened to be the, 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 that the guy who plays Captain Sisko, Avery Brooks, was mm. the one who directed this episode. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, which is why he's not in it that much, I would imagine. Um, yeah, he's only in a few scenes. He's got some real. Yeah, he's just like she asked him. She was coming to him, much like Riker went to Picard, saying, looking for his yeah. blessing to go onto the planet and steal the princess. Dax is looking for a blessing to go run off with Lenara, mm-hmm. and he's like, says the same thing. He's like, no, you can't do it. You know. Yeah. Because what's fascinating is it's Jadzia Dax being a little selfish to the Dax part of her. Because mm, mm-hmm. if she follows her heart, she will be ostracized. And when right. she dies, Dax dies with her. Right. But how much of her heart, you know, is it hers? Is it Dax's? Like, how much? Mm. Yeah, who knows? This is this is, this is for debate. This yeah. is unknowable. <laughs> this is unknowable. But then he says, whatever you decide to do, I've got your back. Yeah. 
because we're bros. So, you know, that's that's the key thing. They yeah. always have each other's back. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and it, it ends on a very, like, she's shot from above. She's mm-hmm. kind of lurking on the promenade, and she watches her get on the ship. Yeah. Oh, it breaks your heart. Totally. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right, well, there you go. That was three uh, episodes that we discussed here. Um, those are the three most obvious about, um, you know, the topic of gender fluidity, and I'm sure... You know, there's one from Enterprise. It's kind of a dopey one, and people hate it, but I actually like it. Uh, there's a character named Trip Tucker. He's like a good old boy from Florida, and he's the engineer. And he's great, great character. Very funny, very likable. Enterprise was the prequel series. Okay. It's the redheaded stepchild of Star Trek. It really <laughs> is. Um, he gets pregnant on oh, one episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, he gets, he kind of gets raped, actually. He gets wow. space raped. But he does he has, he goes into, um, and people hate, people mock this episode. I actually liked it the first time I saw it and I still like it. He has to go to some other ship because they're always doing this and he meets another engineer and they like each other and she's female and, um, you know, they're flirting, whatever, and she invites him into like some chamber where they dip their hands in some pebbles and okay. then they all get all goofy for a little while. <laughs> and then she assumes that he knows what that means. And what that means is I'm going to impregnate you. Oh. And then he gets pregnant. And because he's sort of a good old boy from Florida and his buddy, uh, Captain Archer, played by Scott Bakula, is like very mature. But he's also like if there's one guy on the ship he can rib and that's Trip Tucker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they start ribbing each other and then wackiness ensues. It's oh, mostly meant for laughs, okay. but it, it's 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 pretty good. So. When you become a real hardcore Star Trek fan and start watching all this stuff, you'll eventually go back and watch Enterprise, too. Yeah. So, you know, it could be this is the start of a new, bold new adventure for you when you start could watching be. all the stuff. There, As you know, Star Trek has a pretty sincere fandom. Yeah. And uh, as you say, it opened your eyes a little bit. It's not all the... Sometimes, you know, it's funny. Even in Rejoined, there's like this sort of umbrella of like, yes, we must... Find that what are they? They're trying to open a wormhole. Oh, right. And yeah. there's like some techno babble of like, yes, we need 17 millicochrons of blah 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 fire, <laughs> yeah. you know. So when you're watching those oh, wow. scenes, were you just like kind of just? <laughs> oh like, yeah, Pff. no idea what's going on. <laughs> I was literally thinking, I'm like, does Jordan know what these things are? <laughs> like, do people actually know what this means? Um, I would say I know X percent. Okay. But they sell it. The actors always sell it. Is it know? consistent or? Oh God, yeah, that's the whole thing. Okay, that's why nerds go into a rage when the Klingons in the new show. I heard you ha- talking about this in a recent episode. Yeah, the yeah. Klingons look different now, and yeah. like some nerds who were like so into this show, they they're they're going they're being sent to the emergency room because they just can't handle <laughs> they just can't handle the changes, which I understand, mm-hmm. which I get. I mean, that's what makes Star Trek perfect is that it is such an expansive world that has its own interior logic. No, there's no one Bible. There's no one keeper of what is canon. There sort of is unofficially, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, there are a couple people. Uh, Michael and Denise Akutu have been on the show many times. They have written what's called the Star Trek Encyclopedia. And when somebody has a question, they refer to that book. These are these giant coffee table books the size of, you know, they're like, they're like tablets. They're huge. <laughs> And it's like, well, the Akutas say X, and then that shuts most fans up. Well, the Akutas say X, they say X. And when the Akutas don't know, they talk to John Van Sitters, who is uh, kind of my one of my rabbis in Star Trek, and he is the current, his exact title is Executive VP of 
blah, 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 blah. But he works for the Star Trek brand. Mm. And it's his job to make sure things are as consistent as possible. Now, there are always inconsistencies. One came up today vis-a-vis the Trill. Right. And if John Van Sitters were here, we could ask him why, and he would give us a very good answer. Wow. Because and it, it would be 50% thought out and 50% out of his rear end, but it would make <laughs> it sound really good. And uh, so, yes. But by and large, though, there are consistencies. And you got to imagine, also, there's in addition to the show's 700 episodes, there's a zillion comics and yeah. books, and they try to interlace as best as possible. But there are inconsistencies, and you kind of just have to go with it. Um, but in terms of, like, the science of Star Trek, by and large, it does stem from a little bit of truth. This goes back to 66, to Roddenberry having hired um, two different fact-checkers to give the scripts a patina of realism. So, uh, you know, this is at a time when, like, the word black hole was not even used Mm. when when this show was first on the air. Um, You know, he would talk about time travel and then, like, when and then we'd come back with notes. One of the was the Rand Corporation. The Rand Corporation would look at it and say, well, no, there's no such thing as warp travel, but if it were to exist, the the way in which you've described it is consistent, so... Uh Go to town, and then okay. they would get the scripts back. Oh, I got a check check mark from Rand Corporation. All right, we're in the clear. Okay. <laughs> so you take it with a with a very large uh, grain of interstellar salt. You know? <laughs> so so that's that. Well, this is exciting. So listen, Oliver, if people want to read your work, they can go to screencrush.com. Yep. And the video that we talked about earlier is there and on YouTube. And week to week, you cover movies, you know, whatever movies coming out. Yeah. Um, you cover uh, TV. Are there certain shows that are on your beat, or is that uh, other? It's kind of just shows I like that are on my beat. <laughs> I just pick what I want. <laughs> awesome. And you get to hang out with Matt Singer. So yep. that's for that. I'm gonna hope you're very highly compensated for that. <laughs> and uh, people can find you on Twitter. Your Twitter handle is at Cinemabite B I T E. Not B Y T. That no, would be too like, tech. Too taking Star Trek. a bite out of take a uh, bite out of cinema. Cinemabite yeah. uh, at Cinemabite on Twitter, and uh, that way people can encourage you to continue um, to watch Star Trek and to continue to read your work uh, about film in general, and also continuing. You are going to continue to be one of the more uh, visible writers about uh, trans issues in film because yeah. that's who you are. So yeah. write what you know. Yeah, I did a whole series this year, and I'll probably do some more in the future. Awesome. Okay, good. Well, you're my primary source, so this is exciting. Um, and until then, like I said, this is the last episode of 2016. So wow, I'm wait. honored. Wait, last episode of 2017. Oh. <laughs> so we're going out with a bang. Thank you so much for coming on. And listeners, we will see you again soon. Next time you hear my dulcet tones, I'll have returned from the Star Trek cruise. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll have returned from two tours of duty on the Star Trek cruise, and I'm bringing some audio back with probably the same as last year. We'll have uh, Robert Picardo and um, Ethan Phillips doing their shtick. I think I'm going to have a sit down with Armin Shimmerman. That's Quark, who you oh, saw. Oh, cool. Yeah, the guy with the ears. Um, and who knows who else? Um, uh, who knows? We might get George Takei back on. I'm going to be, should I? This is exclusive, exclusive breaking here on the show. Ooh. I am going to be introducing George Takei at his evening performance on the cruise. That's awesome. So the early show and the late show, and then round two, the early show and the late show. I haven't written my intro yet. George Takei, great man. And um, who else is going to be there? 
Jeffrey Coombs. I'm going to be doing trivia. Brian, did you know that I'm doing trivia with Jeffrey Coombs? Oh, nice. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right, Star Trek crew. So until then, folks, listen, have a great uh, remainder of your Hanukkah. You've got Christmas coming up, Kwanzaa, Boxing Day. Yeah. Is there, a, is there an Eid? Is there a Muslim holiday around this time of year? No, Eid happened. Is it the Muslims sure. getting Diwali is a Hindu that happened already? I don't they know. They get nothing. Well, have the you know have a day if you are if you have a day for you, have your day Festivus right, <laughs> and then New Year's Eve don't drink too much. Oh, and as is now a good time for the no no, <laughs> not at the very end. As no. you heard at the beginning of the podcast, don't drink and drive. It's very serious. So we'll remember that. I'm 100 percent serious about that. Until then, have a great night. Live long and prosper. is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.